AR, VR, I don't, I think there'll be a movement against it. People, right. people want to be more open and socialize more, so actually integrating people better rather than locking yourself away with an Apple Vision or whatever yeah. headset. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the way it's gonna go. Welcome to Tech Talks, hosted by myself, David Savage, and powered by Nash Squared. Today, our guest is Tristram Bates, the head of mobile at New Day, and he's also the iOS meetup organizer behind NS London. But before that, I am joined by Amber. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. I've got, I've got a question for you because our guest today, Tristram, is, <laughs> this makes me feel so old, he's a collector of vintage phones. Phones, can they be vintage? It's like when my goddaughter told me that she was buying vintage Arctic monkeys and I wanted to throw myself off the nearest building. <laughs> Yeah, that does. That makes me feel old, Dave. So I can't imagine how that makes you feel in the nicest way possible. Um, yeah, vintage oh, phones. I mean, what is that? It's like what the vintage phones, the Motorola Razor. Although that that made a bit of a comeback, didn't it? Mm, yeah, exactly. The question I have for you is, what was your first mobile phone? Oh, this. Mine was a. Um, what's the Nokia that like everyone has? The Nokia thirty-three ten. Yes, I'm sure mine was that. I know it was definitely it's a Nokia. Snake. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Snake. And also when I had it, I had no credit on it. I had no contacts in it to start off with. Um, so literally I just played Snake on it all the time. So actually there was no point of me having it. I should have just had a console. Um, obviously over time added some contacts, started to use it for kind of its purpose. But um, but yeah, it was just basically just playing Snake to start off with, which I mean, now I'd love to play Snake. So I've got no complaints about that, to be honest. Your, your current phone probably has some variant of Snake. I suppose it's not quite the same, though, is it? No, it's not. It's not the same. It's not the same at all. Um, I feel like everyone goes through stages as well, because there was Snake, and then there was Flappy Bird, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah. that's much more smartphone that, here. Yeah, I mean, that's... Way Angry Birds, I think, was the first like smartphone game that everyone went nuts over. Yeah, it does. It goes through cycles. I can't think of anything at the moment, to be honest, that's popular but i'm sure there'll be something mm. that pops up won't there it's interesting that you mentioned the motorola razor because i had a razor and i thought it was mm. like the coolest thing and there was that there was that thing that like phones went through that period where they all looked quite different yes the smartphone came along and now they all look exactly the same yeah. every single time apart from maybe the number of cameras on the back a bit more boring aren't they because i was saying this to someone the other day i used to have a phone and it's going to be really hard for me to describe i could visually show you but if we'd actually describe it's gonna be really strange not gonna work on a podcast <laughs> and it, it kind of went round so it didn't flip up it didn't just you know oh i don't know was it a nokia i think it was a nokia it was like a luminous pink that's all i remember yeah I remember. I, I, it kind of swiveled it's yeah it swiveled so like like, nine, kind of, like 180 degrees almost yes Sorry. yes that's the best way to put it yeah so it went yeah 180 degrees um and it was great. I thought it was great. I mean, it was really, I remember loads of them, not mine, but loads of them broke really easily mm. because the actual designer of it was, was not amazing. But, um, but yeah, you don't see that anymore, do you? They just, no. They're just like a big block now. Well, I think the beginning of the Matrix, I think it's Motorola again, had that phone. It was like a, a black phone that flipped out at the bottom. Uh, and that was really cool. And you look at the, the Matrix now and it looks so old. And again, <laughs> it makes you feel... So old. Yeah, it's like the ones where they slid up and then they had the like the keypad underneath. I always yeah. wanted one of those. I was like, those are so cool. And then I was like, 
Ah, uh, yeah, maybe not actually. Like you say, they don't look as cool now, do they? But no, uh, there we go. Anyway, look, that is not all that Tristram is going to be talking about. Um, we're going to be answering questions like what are people talking about within the technology community at the moment, and um, why would um, big technology companies want NS London to come and host their talks with them? So we'll find out what's going on in the technology community and how Tristram got into technology. And myself and Amber will be back afterwards. Today, I'm joined by Tristram Bates. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to, to jump on the podcast and have a chat with me. On, on the 19th of December, I always get told off for kind of dating where our shows are and told that we shouldn't do that with content. But I, I feel that it's worth mentioning, given that you're giving up time so close to Christmas. Thanks. I think you should say it's timeless, I guess, if you don't put dates on it, isn't it? Well, I know, but at the same time, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it is what it is. We released one, a podcast earlier this week where I talked about um, it being time for the last barbecue of the year, which going out mid-December, obviously, was probably jarring for anyone listening. But nonetheless, I'm really appreciative of you giving up some time. And on top of that, you've just started a new job. So fitting it into your schedule right now is... Uh, is massively appreciated. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yes, yeah, so I've recently started a position as head of mobile at a company called New Day. Mm -hmm. uh, New Day are um, world-renowned um, for their fin financial expertise. I've joined them leading their mobile team strategy and how they build apps. Uh, New Day builds some of the um, biggest credit card apps and credit builder apps for the UK. So you've got New Pay, um, John Lewis, Argos, etc. So very excited to start um, a new journey at New Day. I think it's a very apt name for it. So, <laughs> and that that mobile piece is obviously central to 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 you and your I suppose your involvement in in the technology scene because outside of work you you're the organizer of one of the UK's biggest iOS meetup groups NS London um tell me a bit about that because that I think that's really interesting that you've obviously built this community because it's something that a lot of people aspire to yeah no, um so I, I was part of a group that built it so originally it started over a decade ago and sort of been the um, organisers have changed over the years, um, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's quite interesting. I've always attended it over the years, and then about a year and a half ago, I decided, no, actually, I'd like to help organising it. So I'm actually the person that goes and reaches out to that's, the venues. That's still building. So, I mean, that's it's still, still building. Yeah, yeah. Half, of course. No, it's um, it's been one of our biggest years this year. We've had five meetups, um, and then some really big names, so Monzo, Just Eat, Bumble, etc. We've mm -hmm. been to, and the idea is we share the knowledge we develop during our day jobs outside of work and we're not often overbooked unfortunately we're trying to get the biggest venues possible <laughs> uh the biggest we've done so far is around 200 people uh, at monzo so we're very grateful to them for hosting us and look you just mentioned kind of bumble monzo um just eat um some great brands why do you think it is that they're keen to host you if you don't mind me being blunt there's a variety of reasons i think Often it's getting the name out there. Now, if you're a big brand, it's not that difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's an element of um, giving back in the community. Um, certainly in software development, there's a concept of open source software development where you give back. And it's the same as normally like a waiting list of people to come and host us because they want to give back. They want the engineer, the best and brightest um, mobile engineers in London and, and it's also the UK to know who they are and what their engineering teams are like. 
Um, we also often do talk, technical talks from the actual people themselves. So you get to get, hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, what yep. challenges are they working through? What new cool technologies are they using? So you know, it's very exciting. One of the misnomers, I suppose, of this podcast is we're called Tech Talks, and yet actually the conversations aren't particularly technical because I have a politics degree, and I always joke with people that if I tried to have a technical conversation, it'd be very short and quite boring for anyone who's actually minded uh, of that persuasion. But look, you do have an insight into, into more of those conversations. What are people talking about at the moment as we kind of wrap up this year and, and head into the next? Because there's been a huge amount of change, obviously, over the last year and a half. You know, you, you've you've hosted as you as I think you said five talks this year. What what has been the overarching kind of direction of conversation, and I suppose the challenges that people in those those um, circles are trying to meet. I think there's a lot of questions around what's next. A lot of the talks pivot around improving efficiency. So and certainly, automation is a huge element of that. So um, we often talk about ways that, um, obviously, if you've got teams of hundreds of software engineers, improving efficiency <laughs> makes a big, big difference. So we're often doing talks around um, automating code review, with different tools, how you can put um, identity verification software on your apps and improve security. Or we had a great talk from a software engineer at Bumble where they went into kind of how they develop out uh, safe user features and how they kind of build and scale that. And it's the scale bit, it's not the people building in the bedroom anymore, it's big, big teams and it's how you do that. And um, so we find our group, we often talk about the war stories, what worked and what didn't. And often you'll find that they'll do a say, 40 minute presentation and then there'll be another 20 minutes of questions. What about this and what about this? And you can kind of see like a kind of hive mindset about coming up with the answers. So I love it. You say that, that it's pushing people, I suppose, that traditional view of pushing people out of the bedrooms, scale, hive mindset. How, how is the way that technology is changing, I suppose, altering the role of a software developer in the space? Yeah, I think, I mean, often it comes down, obviously, part of my roles is always around people. And I think this collaboration is what's changing, you know, um, and also there's sort of the big elephant in the room of AI. Uh, AI is... I think a force for good, and that's definitely been certainly the last year and a half um, a key um, topic that we're always discussing at the pub after our meetups. So. People generally positive, concerned. I think most of the programmers are positive. <laughs> I think the rest of the world um, is a bit worried and wants to legislate it, but um, I think programmers know. Um, the difficulty software has at running in the first place and actually just getting it to do anything is very difficult. So um, I some fascinating developments this year with um, GitLab, uh, Copilot, some other tools to kind of be there by your side helping you code mm -hmm. rather yep. than doing it for you. Um, but it is also fascinating to go to ChatGPT and say, build me a basketball simulation, calculate the optimum position to throw a basketball in and it will do it instantly. <laughs> You think, well, that would take weeks to do that if you're an engineer. So fascinating and a little bit terrifying at the same time, but no, mostly fascinating. So. Well, let, let, let's, we might come back to that. Let's, let's park it for the minute, yeah, because sure. I think your own personal story is, is, is really interesting, because you, you started out as a salesman at Curry's, which I don't want to sound condescending in any way, because <laughs> that's, a, that's a fine job, but it's obviously a long way from being a head of mobile. How, how did that happen? 
So um, while I was at college, I did a um, part-time job as a salesman. Yeah, I think we've, we've all done jobs like that, right? We've all done jobs like that. But it, it, it linked to the you know, college qualification I was doing at the time, which was yep. my IT qualification. So every day I'd finish you know, whatever um, Excel spreadsheets and database stuff I was doing. And I get to go and sell electronics to people. And it's a completely different thing to walk up to someone you've never met in your life and you're trying to sell them a several thousand pound plasma television. That's what we were selling back then. Was uh, that natural to you or? Um, no, not to start with. Very shy, no. timid, but you, you have sales quotes you've got to meet. So you've got to, you've mm-hmm. got to learn. And I tend to find people buy into ideas that you believe in. So I'd always be selling them the brands that I trusted and, and see saw on the shop floor weren't breaking. So. <laughs> and and you, you have a natural, I suppose, inclination to being enthusiastic about some of those products. Uh, you you collect mobile phones, right? I mean, you are a mobile developer, but you have a collection of yeah. antique mobiles. I have um, all iPhones, or a few Android phones as well. Um, but no, I've um, had iPhones since the very beginning. So I've got iPhone ones all the way through to the current version. And it's fascinating if you hold the two together, they're very similar devices. So actually the, the form factor they got right on the first version. Um, but as well as that, um, I'm passionate about digital, digital preservation. So preserving software and computers for the future, because most of it's been landfilled or recycled so far. So to actually get an old Windows or Apple computer is quite difficult these days. So I've got a collection um, going back to the original Macintosh in 1984. Wow. And um, back then things were different. If you open it up, it's got the signatures of all the staff that made it inside it, etched into the plastic, which is the attention to detail you just don't see these days. So. No. But I suppose that fascination and that passion, as you've mentioned, had to have borne out when you're talking about products on the floor. And of course, okay, a plasma television brands you trust versus you might you know you might not find it as as fascinating as the mobile but i'd imagine customers and actually people that you work with you know we're often talking about that 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 translation piece between technology and business i suppose it's a similar skill set right totally and it being an expert in what you love is really important and i think um if you're obsessed over it i would say i have a technology obsession <laughs> probably need some <laughs> digital detox days once in a while but it's um yeah, it's definitely driven me to amazing places, just following what I love, you know, mobile, consumer electronics, computers, programming. It all kind of just, it, feel, it doesn't feel like a day job, if that makes sense. We've gone from a, a space where I started working in, I graduated 2006, started working really 2007. I think LinkedIn was banned at work. The, mob, the, the iPhone hadn't been released, and yet here we are today where apps are kind of everything what surprised you um over the last few years about the continued development and where where do you think we're going with mobile because it kind of feels like i don't know it kind of feels like it's old technology now and we're kind of on the cusp of always looking for that next thing whether it's vr or ar or do you think that's 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 a little bit um, fanciful and that actually mobile apps themselves have a long way to go? It's a very interesting question. I'll just take a little detour back to 
So my first day of uni, I just got the iPhone 3G. I traded in the original iPhone and used it to help me find my way to university with GPS, which was brand new in smartphones back then. Uh, some of the Nokia phones had it, but to see that at that point, 2008, and then if you time travel back to now, we're talking about AI replacing entire swaps of apps. So it's quite interesting. I do think that if I look kind of 50 years in the future, I kind of feel there'd be more um, movement towards what's called ubiquitous computing. So the idea that computing's just part of your life, it's in and around you and lots of systems integrating with each other, but you don't have enormous desktops and enormous screens and you can kind of already see that with the iPhone. And um, yeah, so I kind of see eventually AI services helping augment that. Um, AR, VR, I don't, I think there'll be a movement against it. People, right. people want to be more open and socialize more, so actually integrating people better rather than locking yourself away with an Apple Vision or whatever yeah. headset. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the way it's gonna go. You mentioned there about technology being ubiquitous. Um, when we were talking uh, about where to take the direction of this conversation before we hit record, um, and you playfully uh, came up with the quote from The Matrix, never send a man to do a machine's job. Um, I think that that's quite interesting given what you said where we might be in 50 years time. What, what do you, you think, whilst we're being playful there, what do you think that, um, that relationship between AI and coding and what we do and what AI might do for us how how do you see that progressing? Because you know you were talking a little bit earlier about GitHub and Copilot and those those kind of examples. What do you think the really interesting bits here are? Yeah, well, if I look back, um, it's always my old boss that always used to <laughs> always used to say, "Never send a man to do a machine's job." But that line's getting blurred these days. What a machine can do is far different <laughs> to uh, to what um, you know kind of automated systems could do in the past. I kind of see it. Og- I see um, AI solving really big problems. There's certainly in computer science plenty of problems that humans can't solve. There's also interesting problems that computers can't solve in your lifetime, so NP problems. So I can kind of see it helping in those research efforts and efforts to kind of help kind of solve curing cancer and other things. But I think day-to-day for software developers, it's going to help them do sort of end-to-end testing, probing edge cases, speed up their development. So um, I kind of said in the past, it's kind of like having superpowers. So obviously Superman can fly, but he's still a man. And I think that's, that's where AI is coming in. It's going to kind of augment to make people much more productive, especially when building software. But I often um, ask the question of our guests, you know, what questions do you have? But I suppose you are plugged into a community, a thriving community of, of developers here. What, what questions do, does that community have when you find that they're going out and, uh, and addressing each other? I think the, the biggest question in my sphere is, and I think you alluded to this earlier, how does that link into mobile phones? Will we have mobile phones in 20 to 30 years or will we just have some sort of implant where we ask, we think the question and we know the answer? So that, that's the interesting bit is where um, often I see um, really big brands using AI in their apps, but it's quite rare that you actually see it in an actual 
rather than a solution looking for a problem is actually a problem to solve. So I think the, the biggest example of this, I won't say the voice assistant's name because it will trigger speakers all over my flat, <laughs> but if you say a voice assistant's name with Apple, there's machine learning there to see which device should respond, whether it's the one on your wrist, in your pocket, around your house or, or your laptop, and it knows. And that's kind of a, a transparent use case where that feature doesn't have AI in it. It's just transparent and it improves things. And so I think the big question is for mobile developers is where can you put those sort of user journeys in your products so they're just obvious and transparent and in the product versus here's our new AI tool, here's our GPT tool. I think is too much tech branding around that. It should kind of, the question should be what features should we build with this new tool set? Right, and let me ask you one more question, which might be a really stupid question to finish with. Because surely where mobile phones are concerned, more powerful, more capability, that's better. But is it? Like, we're, we're in this fast consumer-driven society where we upgrade every couple of years. Which, which is the best mobile, in your opinion? Is it the latest, or is there one that you've got a bit of a soft spot for that's a little bit older? That's a very good question. Uh, I was having this conversation with my daughter yesterday because she's nagging me to get her a new iPhone 15. Uh, but then she <laughs> asked the question, why? What do I get? And I had to explain to her there have been about eight or nine phones in between what she has now. Um, I think for most people, I've got a soft spot for kind of the iPhone SE. Still got a fingerprint sensor, amazing battery life. You can lose it and use it on a night out and not worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, I think I think definitely iPhone at the moment. But I have got a bit of a soft spot at the moment for the um, Samsung flip phone. I think that's quite interesting going on the way home and being able to glance at your phone and not have to open it. So you almost have to go through the cycle of, do I really need to open and check my phone or I can just glance at the notifications and put it back in my pocket? Um, so that, yeah, that's my favourite phone at the moment. Sounds a bit like the old Motorola Razr. Exactly. Yeah, amazing phone as well. But again, it's seeing, it's kind of putting that more human side into it. You know, you want to reduce the amount of time you're using a phone. So being able to see that front and centre or look at maps about taking your phone out when it's a big phone out and you might get it mugged. It's just this little map on the screen. So yeah, yeah that's definitely my favourite um, phone at the moment. Well, look, if anyone out there is interested in NS London, um, Obviously, this is a global podcast, so it might be a fairly small group of listeners. But nonetheless, um, if anyone is interested, what's the best way that, that they can kind of find out some more information? So we're on all the social networks. So for worldwide listeners, um, we're on YouTube. So if you can't make mm -hmm. it to one of our events, you can watch our talks afterwards. So it's YouTube NS London. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. And if you're in London and you'd like to come to our meetup, if you just go to meetup.com slash NS London, you should be able to come to us. Cool. Well, look, thank you very much for your time. Um, as we've said, uh, given that you've started a new role and you're incredibly busy, but I hope that you do get an opportunity to down tools over the festive period. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. In the interview, Tristram talks a lot about how AI is basically a good thing. Right, there's a, there's a lot of chat around AI at the minute, but basically it's a force for good as far as he sees it. Um, and I thought with that in mind, we'd have a quick review of two articles, both of which are found in The Verge, 
about generative AI and AI, um, two, two items that I thought that the audience would be interested to know about. First of all, that NVIDIA is now worth more than Amazon and Alphabet. And I feel like that's happened kind of like stealth almost. Um, did you, were you aware of how big NVIDIA had got? No, that was literally my next thing I was about to say. I've never heard of them. I've oh, never, really? N- never heard of them. And maybe I'm really um, living in the dark ages here. But when I read this article, I was obviously, I was like, wow, I mean, that's, yeah, that's really surprising. But also more surprising for me because I've never come across them before in my life. Um, yeah, maybe that's just me. I don't know. But I, genuinely, this is a completely new name to me. Well, look, we, we've got a fairly broad listenership to this podcast. And I can tell you, looking at our stats, that we've got quite a few listeners, actually, who are probably in education still. So NVIDIA might not be a company. I think if you're an enterprise, you probably go, oh, yeah, well, NVIDIA, big hardware chip manufacturer. If you're perhaps at university, you'd be like, who are NVIDIA? Because they are one of those businesses that, sure, everyone's heard of Alphabet and Amazon and, and you know, Meta, etc. Mm. But NVIDIA are kind of in the background. And I think this is interesting because there's a bit of chat at the minute about there being a bull market in AI um, and the sudden inflation of NVIDIA's price is interesting as a consequence. I mean, NVIDIA, the world's fourth most valuable company in the wake of the AI boom with Microsoft at $3.04 trillion and Apple and Saudi Amerigo. So Apple, I think, are at uh, $2.84 trillion. So you're talking about absolutely colossal mm. valuations here, market capitalization um, estimations, valuations. But it shows the the power behind both AI and large language models in use in, in today's industry and how they're viewed. Um, but as someone put to me recently, and I think this is a really great way about thinking about it, AI, if you compare it to the gold rush, in the gold rush, it wasn't the people who were looking for gold that got rich necessarily. Mm. It was the people who were making spades. And NVIDIA are basically the company giving you a spade. That, I mean, like I say, for someone who hasn't come across it before, that's a really good way of putting it because, um, yeah, I guess like you said, it's kind of underpinning what the big tech giants are doing. Yeah. I mean, like again, I'm just, I'm just surprised. I mean, it's a very, yeah, they're kind of, um, these are big numbers as well, like you said. Mm. It's that worry that it's this market cap has has raced, surged mm. forward. How sustainable is it? How much of a bubble is it? How much investment is going into AI, into lots of companies as a consequence of this valuations, these valuations that we're seeing? And and could that lead to some real choppy waters for a lot of businesses that are getting investment if that doesn't bear fruit, I yeah. don't know, six months, 18 months down the line? I think a lot of companies would admit themselves as well. They probably are a little bit clueless. They are probably just putting money into it because obviously everybody else is doing it and it's almost like a domino effect and they're just kind of following suit. But actually um, probably don't know what they want to achieve by putting this big investment into AI and into this space. Um, So yeah, like you said, it might actually kind of... (laughs) It, I don't know, it might hinder them in, in the future or, you know, if they sort of bring in loads of people to sort of to help build out this capability within the business, is there just going to be a mass round of redundancies? And, you know, when they understandably can't sort of make sense of their data or they don't know what they want to achieve, when articles like this come out, it gives you a false sense of security because you think, oh, brilliant. Okay, well, you know, it's a really booming market. Uh, so everyone starts to sort of chuck their money into it. But um, 
yeah, I think you need to kind of be a bit more maybe cautious, perhaps. You could also listen to a podcast. And look, we're all for sharing the podcast love here. So Decoder with Nilay, Nilay Patel, rather. Uh, Nilay is the editor-in-chief at The Verge. So people might be familiar with Vergecast, very well-known podcast from The Verge. Decoder is another podcast from The Verge where they talk about some of the big ideas in tech. And their latest episode is asking... Uh, or rather explaining how AI copyright laws could make the whole industry go extinct. Um, basically, it's this thing that uh, the New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI um, is part of a broader industry-shaping um, copyright challenge that could really define where we move over the next kind of six to 12 months. That there's basically this whole thing's going to get stress-tested um, as a lot of lawsuits begin to to come into effect. And I'm I'm kind of on the fence with this. I don't know if it's like a good or a bad thing because I think then there has to be some sort of like, you know, regulation kind of in place and um, parameters that we're sort of working within. But then I think, yeah, I don't know if that's going to really like restrict it to a point where the creativity and everything is kind of, you know, sort of taken out of it in a sense. If, if that if you sort of get where I'm coming from. Yeah, I I think what's interesting is that basically the internet has, has been a bit of a problem for copyright laws for a long time because mm. it's very easy to copy stuff online. Um, but they've always kind of applied fair use to basically being a uh, for determining what kind of copies are, are allowed. And fair use is this four-factor test that is basically something that each court can interpret differently mm. and the, the point that the verge are trying to make is that basically fair use is very vibey which is a very kind of scientific on legal way of describing it yeah but i like that though it's, it's really kind of up in the air as to how these lawsuits are going to go and if, if you know if you look think about napster and file sharing we all know what happened to companies like napster so it's, it's going to really define um ai and copyright and regulation um mm. over the next couple of years yeah and yeah, I was going to say it's so subjective, but I think maybe I like, you know, I prefer Vibe actually, you know, that's, that's, that's way cool. I'm start using that. Um, but it is, like you said, that can really differ from, you know, every kind of, every person will have a different take on that basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how do you actually put some sort of like framework in place that everyone can follow and everyone, you know, believes in and everyone is kind of like confident with as well, because yeah, um, yeah and I suppose that with that, there'll, there'll also be sort of, you know, loopholes I guess probably better way to frame it but like you know people will find ways I think generally people find ways to get around things so like you say what is sort of fair use and and can they actually push the boundaries of that to the point where you're on the fence a little bit well undoubtedly Napster changed the music industry didn't it mm. so whatever the rulings whatever determinations come out from courts is going to set a precedent that, as you say, maybe not loopholes, but it will define and redefine. And I am sure that we will end up with something where five years down the line, we have a Spotify style, you know, explosion of a company that is basically on the back of however these legal legal cases turn out. Yeah. Amber, thank you very much for your time. Tristram, thank you for being our guest. Um, I'm going to go think about my vintage mobile phones and cry <laughs> at my advancing years, especially the way that Amber opened this up by plunging the knife in yeah, even deeper. Yeah, I, I really did, yeah. Didn't mince my words there at all, did I? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a happy weekend. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday.
Tech Talks is hosted and edited by David Savage. It is produced by Nash Squared. And we have special thanks to Lemzy for supplying music to this show.